Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Vitality Shift for Chiropractors. This is Dr. Don McDonald, your host, and today I get to stay in Canada, head over to London, Ontario, and I get to interview uh, Dr. Michelle Campbell, who uh, I just really got to meet and get to know really well at our Transformers Mastermind here back in September. And uh, I wanted to get her on the show to share her story and some of her learnings in life, as we all have learnings in life. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Cool. So like we like to do with all our guests is just figure out, how did you figure out about this chiropractic profession in the first place? So what's, what's your origin story to, be a, to becoming a chiropractor? So I went to the University of Waterloo and when I was there, I was a Don or residence advisor and yeah. we had requirements to make sure that we did educational events for our students. So myself and another Don, we teamed up so that we could share the, the burden of that. Yeah. And she did uh, and her chiropractor. So she had him come in and did a health talk for us, did anatomy and, um, you know, the spine, the nervous system, how it all works together. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, oh, that's mm. awesome. I, I should learn more about this. Uh, it's just one of those things that just kind of fit. Uh, so I actually called him up and became a new patient and explained like I was interested in it as a profession as well. So he did an amazing job and really kind of took me under his wing and explained the profession and how it works and um, became a patient. I saw, saw a huge benefit myself. So I was a somewhat competitive figure skater and involved in a ton of sports and my low back had always kind of been a problem on and off. So I was like, oh, well maybe this can help my low back. And yes, it did. But the really cool part was my energy is better. My, you know, my focus was better that year. I got my best grades in all of university and I just, I remember sitting on his table he had an open uh, practice area and just sitting on that table and just kind of seeing him adjusting other people and the buzz of the office and just kind of thought, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's just one of those, okay, I'm going to go do it then. And, and, you know, my naive ability to say, I'm just going to go do it was probably a blessing because I didn't realize <laughs> how competitive nor how hard nor how much money it would take. I just kind of was like, yeah, I'll just go do this. Yeah. So I went and applied to Toronto to CMTC, um, again, went into that interview process there, naive, and which helped me because I wasn't as nervous, I think, <laughs> and uh, got in and kind of went from there. That's funny. So sometimes it's better when you don't know all the trauma that you might have to go through, hey? A hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, so what was your story? What was your uh, journey then? So you, like on the table sitting in the room that day, did you decide on that moment? That was it. That was it when you're going to be a chiropractor? Yeah. And uh, I know I've shared this with you, but I'm a big believer that, you know, I, I have a feeling when it's right and I get what I call my tingles and it just kind of draws me to something being really important and something I need to take note of. And I got that feeling and that's the first time I really remember getting that feeling. Mm. And it just was 
this was what I was destined to do. Like I, I just knew it with, with every bit of me. And it was, um, again, I'm so kind of grateful that I didn't know what it all involved and just kind of jumped in two feet. Um, but it was just, it was one of those, you know, life changing moments for sure. Mm, that's so cool. So, so what, what had you, uh, what made you decide the school that you went to? Was it just location or was it you referred there? It was totally location. I um, was close to my family that we were in a little town outside of London. Mm. Um, so Toronto was far enough away, but I could still go back. And I kind of was like, I felt like it was the best fit. I also didn't want to pay American dollars or yeah. that. So <laughs> totally. I was like, if I can stay in Canada, that's probably better. But it was really <laughs> just based on the location. Cool. And so how did that whole process go? So when you, you know, you kind of get into, you get into CMCC, um, tell me a little bit about your experience as being a student. So in CMCC, it's a very, um, as we know, mechanistic kind of school. Um, I enjoyed the people there. I enjoyed a lot that we got to learn. Um, I know I didn't learn a lot of the philosophical aspects of things, the principled side of things, or the business side of things, but I was one of those students that had, uh, back pre-15 years ago, pre-podcast, I had the tapes and the CDs that other chiropractors had given me and would be listening to those in my house or in my car all the time. So I kind of did get exposed to some of that, um, but I was really just learning everything that was coming my way and trying to just kind of stay open-minded to everything. So I was listening to all different sides of things and just really kind of learning what I could. Right. And Andy, just out of curiosity, like was there any of those tapes or speakers that you're listening to in your car that kind of st stood out in your mind when you're a student? Huh? That's a great question. Um, you know, there's just so many and there's like the master's circle was yeah. one. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I'm blanking on names because I'm being put on the spot and haven't thought of them in probably 15 years. But uh, <laughs> no, that was cool. It's just, it's just, and sometimes it's just the accumulated effect of it, right? So it'd be like um, me with music is that I don't know any names of the songs or the musicians, but when I hear the song, I'm like, oh, I love the song. And they say, yeah. what's it called? And I'm like, I don't know, but it's just awesome. <laughs> I do remember my first speaker that I kind of was like, wow, this is incredible. Was I was still, I wasn't in chiropractic college yet. And I went to a seminar with the chiro my chiropractor. Mm -hmm. And it was John Demartini was the first speaker on the Friday night. And <laughs> nice. that was one of those things I just kind of, again, opened my mind so much and was like, well, this is pretty cool. I yeah, think, yeah. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna like this profession. That's kind of, kind of a dose. I think uh, that was Brandy's first uh, experience too, was Demartini and uh, Sigafoos. I think those were her first two um, introductions to chiropractic when she thought we were like a, a weird cult in a bunch <laughs> of crazy people. <laughs> so funny. So, um, so school, uh, tell me a little bit about school, like after, like when you went into clinic and stuff like that, like how, how was that all experience for you? Um, Clinic, I was with uh, a very sports medicine oriented clinician the first time. I learned a ton from him. Um, there's a lot of really great things that I um, will still use today, mm -hmm. uh, but it was very like a very research based, very slow paced. Um, we're still learning like all of that. Um, and my second clinician was in school and he was a little bit more um, 
full spine adjusting ish. And so I yeah. got to learn a really cool aspect of how this connects to this and this means this and, and kind of put the puzzle together. And he was um, a much more older gentleman and he just, I got a lot from him too. Again, I really just try to take what are the positive things I can get from each person. And that's how I started my career was doing locums and um, going from office to office to office and trying to pick out all the different things that I really respected and appreciated and, and thought that I could emulate and, and do as well. Um, mm. I definitely learned a lot of things I did not want to do, which is also very valuable. Totally. But uh, <laughs> it's just kind of trying to, to focus on that. Um, we all in this profession have so many great things to offer. And if we could just focus on all the great things we have to offer instead of what we don't always agree with, I think we would be in a much better spot. I was just, uh, it's funny. I was just talking to Brandy this morning and, and, and it's just, we're talking about like haters from the other side or whatever, you know, when you, when you have those people that would be on social media or something and like call out, whether it's the, the pain based guys or the hate straight guys or whatever the, the total aspect is. And I said, isn't it quite funny though, that like in general, our, our profession, it doesn't matter what side it's from has one of the highest patient satisfaction ratings out of any healthcare profession in the world. So neither side can be doing that bad in, in the people's eyes. Yeah. Yeah, so, I totally so, agree. so it's totally good, but just let people do what they want to do. Like you want to, you want, if you want to be pain-based, that's cool. If you want to be like more vitalistic or you want to, you want to be neuro-based, that's cool too. But I don't think we have to like make other people do what we want to do or, or have that infighting is just, is just pretty, pretty challenging. So a hundred percent. And I think by the fact that I got to see so many different types of practices and I have so many different like colleagues and friends in, in various different, different styles of practice, mm -hmm. um, you get to know, like majority of the people are such good people with such good hearts. So they really just want to help. Yeah. Help their patients in, in the way that they like to help their patients. Right. And, you know, sure, those little fringe people or like small percentages <laughs> maybe don't have those great intentions, but that's definitely not the majority. Yeah. And I think, too, some people just have to realize that everybody's a little different. So what's the best ideal for you is not the best ideal for other people. So everyone doesn't have yeah. to practice the exact same way you do um, in order yeah. for everybody. Because to our want. patients have different ideals and our patients have different wants and values. Totally. So you graduate from school. And what year did you graduate? From CMCC. 2008. 2008. And so obviously, so tell me a little bit about that experience because right when you got out, you obviously locum for a while. Like mm -hmm. how, how long did you locum for and what made you decide to do that? I did it for about a year and a half. Um, and I did it mainly because I didn't know where I wanted to live and I didn't know what reason. I wanted to do. So <laughs> I thought, well, this is cool. I can kind of go into all these different practices, make some money. I don't have to do any big investment and I can figure out where I want to be because my big thing is I didn't know what location I wanted to be. Mm. And yeah. so, so like, did you, were you pretty busy as a locum? Like as far as um, like, so for example, I've never been a locum. So if someone was out there and they're just a new grad and they wanted to be a locum, is it, uh, is it like you have to market yourself or is it pretty easy yeah. to find, find um, not gigs, but <laughs> cover off? Cause did you, did, yeah. cause it'd be like a substitute teacher sort of, right? Like mm -hmm. if everybody was totally healthy, you wouldn't have any jobs or, or you wouldn't have that much work. Or if, if there was chiropractors not going on holidays, uh, were you able to keep pretty busy, like pretty regular work? Were I you, was. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I signed up with a 
agency. So I did it with ah, them. And okay. then I also, when I was a student, I observed with a ton of different chiropractors. So I had all those contacts. So I started emailing all of my contacts saying I was available and I would kind of pretty much go anywhere. And if you wanted me to go too far away, just have a place for me to sleep and I will come. So I did that before where I would like go to Kingston or Belleville, I think it was. Um, and I just, these chiropractors were going on vacation for two weeks. So I just lived in their house and ah. their patients for a couple of weeks. So it kind of like came up with agreements with that. Um, and then I had a few long-term ones, like some maternity leaves, uh, a long sick leave. So those would be more consistent. Mm. Oh, that's cool. And so when you got near to the end, what, wh- how did you, de- how did you decide where you wanted to live or, or what, what kind of led you to uh, transitioning to the next stage? Um, well, life decided for me. <laughs> so what I mean by that is when I was in uh, an intern at uh, chiropractic college, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and it was thyroid cancer, which is a very like high success type of cancer. So we thought at the time. So um, it was about a year and a half after he had been diagnosed. He went in for a tough surgery, ended up having to have a trach put in, lost his voice for a while. It was a pretty traumatic kind of surgery. And it was that and a few things with the um, locum I was doing at the time was just kind of going sour and it just was like it'd been there for a while it just wasn't seeming to fit very well Mm -hmm. dad had this kind of poor reaction and I was like I think this is the time to just you know be back home with him so then I had moved back by this time my parents had sold their farm and they were living in a apartment in London trying to figure out where their next kind of house would be Right. So they had a one bedroom plus a den apartment. So I moved into the tiny little den, uh, slept on a futon for about a year while I got my practice started and kind of went from there. Now I want to stop just for a second because all of the young, all the grads out there, the new grads that are coming out, that is such a good example because uh, when you first come out of school, that's what we did too, is you basically, I, I had this advice when I was in school and I can't remember who told me this, but they said, if you can live live your lifestyle like you're a student for another two or three years after you start working, it makes things a lot easier for you because if you come out and you like buy a house, get too expensive of a car, have all these living expenses and not realize it's going to take a while for things to get going, you kind of get, get in trouble. So like sleeping on a cot is like, like I think for a while I was, I was like, I was, when I was first in practice, I was halfway here and half in Beggarville because Brandy was in Beggarville and I lived half the time with Brandy and half the time at my sister's place. And so I was basically homeless for the first year. because I, I was sleeping on the floor, just wherever I, where I could find a bed. So I think that's yeah. a great story. Cause that's how we all start. right? <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly, I, I rented a room with my friend while I was doing a locum, just kind of gave her some cash for, for letting me stay there when I wasn't actually staying at someone else's house doing the locum and that, you know, I made a good amount of money and able to pay off a good chunk of loans already starting out. So I, I think that is such a key, key, key for people um, coming out of school. It's so expensive. We have so much debt. Most people do. Uh, If you can get ahead of it in those first few years, like you say, live like a student, it sets you up for such a, such a better situation to be in. Mm -hmm. So you decide to move home and what did you do? Did you open up your own practice or how did, how did you, how did you start? So I, um, 
spent a few more months doing welcomes while I was there and I started to go and be like, okay, London's going to be my city. This is where I'm going to be. I'm going to start connecting with more Kairos in London. So, which I did, I started to go and, and meet a bunch of people here and was like, okay, I'm going to be an associate here. Like, let's start to kind of see where my fit, where I fit here. Yeah. Um, had met a lot of really great Kairos. There's so many great ones here in London, um, but nothing seemed to be the right fit for me. Uh-huh. And I remember um, by this time, my dad's voice had started to come back. Um, and I remember sitting and talking with him and he pretty much just said like, well, why don't you just start your own practice? And I was like, why don't I just start my own practice? <laughs> He's like, well, haven't you learned like, you know, some things in the last couple of years about business and how you can start it? And I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, well then just stay in the den for free and go start a practice. So I did, and I started small. I rented a room in a massage clinic. So I had one little room um, and just started from nothing. It was a great opportunity because there were already massage patients coming in that I could market to. Um, I joined a whole bunch of different sports teams. I talked about, I mean, I love chiropractic. And even back then, like I was so much full of piss and vinegar, I guess is the saying you have. So I anyone I could talk to about it. Like I wanted to tell them how I could help them and what I could do. And, um, so just started building my practice. I did that for about three years Mm -hmm. and then got to a level where I could rent a more commercial, larger space. So I rented a space, added Mm -hmm. a couple massage therapists, um, worked there for almost five years in that space. And then just last year, purchased a commercial building, a much bigger space, and added some other practitioners over the last year. So you kind of, you expanded a lot over the last little bit, hey? For sure. For sure. It's been a, a crazy ride, I guess you'll say. So uh, this is the question that, that for, uh, especially a lot of the, well, and the, this is always interesting from my point of view because I'm a, I'm a male, but for being a mom and a female and a business owner expanding that much, how do you do, how did you do all that stuff? <laughs> um, with a lot of stress. And, we'll talk uh, about self-care after. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so I met Chris when I was just, my husband is Chris. Yeah. I met him when I was finishing like kind of that first stage. So, so there's three stages that after that first kind of renting the small room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we moved in, like I moved into the next space. Um, and so I had built all that without being married, without having kids. So I had a really kind of big base. Yeah. And a lot more energy output available uh, <laughs> at that stage. So um, I had I have two and a half year old twins, and I had them um, while I was in the second stage of practice. And I took two weeks off, which I don't recommend, but it was the <laughs> situation that I was in, um, and yeah. kind of kept pushing forward and. It was great because like I didn't actually I actually grew in practice volume the year I had my babies, which is totally counterintuitive, but wow. um, it's a lot of help. Uh, my husband took paternity leave so that we yeah. had someone here. We had a nanny. Uh, our parents helped a lot. It's a lot of like getting you know that village around you to yeah. help and having having focus on what your goals are and then doing what you can to make sure that they can happen. Mm-hmm. Defining it. Like we knew our goal was to keep the practice and the business as strong as possible. So we did what we did to make sure that that goal was achieved. Now, if you're talking to someone who's back in that situation, who's uh, maybe just, uh, they have a practice and they're pregnant 
and uh, and you have an opportunity to give them a little bit of advice. Um, what what would you do as far? Because I've interviewed so many female chiropractors who like took like oh I took like a, a couple of days off or like between having their baby and going back to work. So they they've been really short breaks. What 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 do you think would be um, a better idea? Well, you know it's it's such a tough situation if you're a solo practitioner. Yep. Um, if you have a partner who is a chiropractor or like a business partner or a life partner, that's going to be your best option because you can have them cover your practice for longer. Mm-hmm. Um, finding a locum, unfortunately, I had I had great help, but there was three different people and I didn't get to find one person who could cover the whole thing. So there wasn't as much consistency. So that just, it didn't really work very well in terms of the situation I found, but spending a lot of time to really try to find someone who can maintain that, like your practice for a period of months to have some more rest. Um, and just, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily have all the answers for this. I think it's one of the toughest things for being a mom in chiropractic is, is how you can do it. Um, but I just know that if I had the chance to do it again, I would definitely take more time off to let my body recover, even if mentally I was totally ready to go back because I love it so much and I miss the patients and I wanted to do it. My body was not ready and right. my hormones weren't ready and my body needed way more rest. And even <laughs> though I thought I was fine, the body will eventually tell you you're not fine. You're not so. fine. Which, lead to, which will lead us to the next phase. Because again, we talk a little bit about burnout because uh, everywhere we go, uh, working with chiropractors all over the world, it ends up that we end up to talking about self-care. So um, maybe just give a little example of like kind of what you experienced like with, uh, with experiencing burnout and, and maybe some of the stuff that you did, you did to kind of get back control of what's going on. Sure. So uh, the biggest thing was I just needed to rest more. Yeah. Like I actually needed to do less to get healthier versus do more. So right. I always was like, I need to work out more. I need to, um, you know, eat better. I need to do all of these tasks. I better make meal plans more and like whatever it is that I needed to do. But in actuality, that was kind of stressing me out to try to do more. And I was always doing good steps. Um, it's not like I completely stopped exercising or ate fast food every day or, you know, didn't get checked. I was still doing good, healthy choices, but just, I needed to sleep more and I needed to rest more and go for a walk in the forest and try to calm my mind and not worry about the million things that there are that you can worry about if you want to. So it was really just a feeling of, I was, I was very, and I still, I'm still working through all of these things. It's a, it's still a process, but yeah. um, feeling very angry, feeling very short, um, waking up in the middle of the night with like, oh, I got to do A, B, C, D. I mean, sometimes I'm waking up in the middle of the night because a baby's crying, but um, that's a different story too. <laughs> right. uh, and just like feeling very like, just not great is kind of not like I'm a, very energetic, focused, um, normally very positive, happy person. And I just was, I was not feeling myself. Um, Also, my dad had died a year and a half ago, um, which again, I don't, I just wanted to push past that pain and not deal with it because it was a very painful, traumatic experience. Even though he had cancer for 10 years and, and was dealing with it for 10 years, it's just a, when that journey ends, I, like we had his funeral. He died on a Saturday. 
we had his funeral the following Saturday and I never took a day off work because it was on Saturdays. Like I probably should have taken some time to like just sit in my bed and cry if I needed to, instead of just going, well, I'm just going to go back to work because I love it. And this makes me happy. Yes, that's true. But you have to feel your feelings and let your, again, your body and your mind rest. Yeah. Wow. And so, and so that you kind of just kind of did, did you, did you kind of feel like you crashed a little bit later? Cause I know sometimes after you have a mm-hmm. trauma like that, you can kind of numb yourself for a while, but then like sometimes for a year. Catch, well, for a year and, yeah. then it, and then it catches up to you and you're like, Oh my gosh, yeah. maybe I should do that. You know, that. when I was, you know, like looking into it, like there's people that can numb that for the rest of their life Yeah, and, and never feel it in the way that they're, designed to feel it mm-hmm. because it will show up somewhere, whether it shows up as a, a health concern or a um, emotional breakdown or whatever it can show up as. Mm-hmm. So when did you start, start being able, and again, the reason we go over this a bit, I think is to be super helpful because a lot of people out there, the one consistency in life is unfortunately death, right? And so we're going to lose people. And so just, just how did you start to deal with it? Um, or to, to kind of process it maybe? Um, I think, well, the biggest thing I did was I actually started to go to a grief counselor mm-hmm. um, to start the process. And I remember kind of being there and I'm like, I don't even know why I'm here. Like, I'm, but I'll do it because it's going to make me happier. And I went because I was angry and not as happy as I wanted to be. Um, right. And I'm like, maybe this will help. And so that really started the process to like opening up my mind to, you know, I'm just pushing things because I'm achieving and I'm going and I'm um, just pushing forward on things, but I'm not feeling feelings. And there's been so many things that have happened that it just keeps building up. It's cumulative. Um, So I just kind of started the process with, with that. And then from there, like doing some meditations and doing some, um, more starting to do some self-care and and you know we went to as you had mentioned at the beginning of the uh the podcast we went to your mastermind with uh brandy and yourself and peter and it was there that i kind of like broke through a lot more of my he's gone to like he can still be, he's always with me yeah he's part of me he's always with me um and just kind of realizing that I don't, even though his physical presence isn't here, I have so much from him. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. And so do you, since you went through that process, like, ha- have you noticed the difference? Um, like, because cause you'd say like sometimes things will trigger you and remind you of your dad before and before it'd be more sad. Does it, do you have more like happy feelings when that triggers A 100%. Like even when I was just saying that, like, I still get emotional in my eyes, but it's like a, a gratitude, grateful, emotional versus a angry, sad, emotional. And That's it's much, huge. it's a much better state to be in. It's a much calmer state. Um, it just, you know, I, it just, there's lots of things I look at and I think about him um, and go, Oh, he would have loved that. Or, yeah. Oh, that's his um, favorite type of cake that he would always get or, or whatever it is, but more in a, positive happy uplifting way mm-hmm. yeah and we it's had funny 
it, oh, it's sorry. so no no that's totally cool because I, I was thinking because uh, that the first night we had a good conversation because I, I learned lots from my buddy Rob who passed away from ALS and so people will know my story uh, with ALS you basically know they're going to pass away and so you have a lot of those conversations afterwards and so um, maybe you could share your story because um, it kind of surprised me the next day because we were breaking boards and uh, and it's funny so um, we had I think if we had three quarter inch boards that all the first timers went through. And then we had second timers where then Peter brought out these big honking one inch boards, <laughs> which looked a lot more scary. And then at the end of it, you came back and you're like, Hey, I want to go for the one inch board. And then, and then I'll just say, I'll, I'll tell people from my perspective and then I'll tell people what, what you experienced because I didn't know you're doing that. So she smashes through the one inch board and then board, And then Peter had, I have a couple boards left if you want. And then you put, I think two of the three quarter inch boards together back to back. So it was like an inch and a half board. And then you went up and you, and you just went and you just smashed right through that board too. And we were like, whoa, that's great. And, uh, and then it wasn't until we did the sharing, the sharing after the boards, that maybe you can tell the listeners um, what you called upon uh, in that, which I thought was so cool. For sure. So it was our conversation the night before that we were talking about, um, you know, the physical presence is gone, but spiritual presence is still there and, you know, connecting into the... Um, that memory that you have of that person and um I remember the another couple important things you said to me that really clicked was um the stories I was telling about dad it was like I don't think you need to talk to him for him to tell you what he thinks you should do because all your stories are him just saying well why don't you just go do it and <laughs> he's just agreeing he, with you <laughs> yeah he's just saying like yeah that's a good idea like, so like do you need a physical presence to tell you that or do you think that you can just believe that in yourself and, and get that from him and his his spirit and his presence in that sense so that was where kind of it came from with the boards and um at the very beginning of the podcast i touched on that kind of tingle feeling when I'm super focused and I feel like this is what I'm designed and supposed to do and kind of have that um, clarity, I guess is a good word for it. Mm -hmm. When I was doing the boards, that was the first I did three. So the first one, that's what I was feeling is that clarity, like focus. Yeah, got this. Um, my dad was also a farmer and a carpenter. So the fact that it was wood, I think kind of helped me have this feeling. But that third one, when it was pretty significant in terms of thickness, I, uh, I just kind of sat there and had my hands together and I just I closed my eyes and said, okay, daddy, oh, let's do this. Um, and that's when I got that strong kind of tingle that I hadn't had in a long time prior to that, where, where I kind of missed that clarity, that focus feeling and just that, that strong kind of you got this feeling was what helped me kind of push through those those boards and, and break them and it was just such a again like I don't need him physically there to yeah. say you can do this like I know I can do this and he knows like, I can do this whether he's standing in front of me or not and that's so cool because and th those are some of those rituals or triggers right um that, that we can call upon because the the doing action we can, you can do it, but when you have that, the being action or that, that extra burst of energy that helps, that goes through that, that, that just kind of takes it to the next level. So I think that's so cool because now whenever you have a challenge, you'll be able to, you have your trigger, um, which will just kind of get you like, we always say like put the Iron Man suit on like, whoo, like you're ready yeah. to 
superhero suit, take it on. Or the Donna. Hey, you should talk about the Donna thing because this is so funny. Uh, this just reminded me to think about this till now because we were talking about identities and we're talking about how we can, we can be whatever identity we want. And in order to change our actions, sometimes we try to change our actions, but we don't actually change who we really are. And so we're doing a group project working on our identities. And maybe you can share with the listeners because um, uh, we wanted to name them and then give them their, their characteristics. And a lot of people will kind of nickname it off their... Like I'll be like a dynamic Dawn or, or a dumb down Dawn or something to have the two different identities and maybe tell the listeners how you came up with yours, which was pretty cool. Uh, so my middle name is Dawn, which is also what my dad's name um, is. And I love the show Suits and there's <laughs> Donna on um, Suits. So I kind of yeah. modeled my my avatar and my persona off of her, very confident and strong and um, focused, clear, you know, all of these wonderful characteristics. And so I called her Don Ah, like Donna, <laughs> but more personal to me with, with Don. So yeah, that was a really kind of cool experience to and I do think of her um, when I'm needing to get my my mindset changed or my focus into a the way that I want it to be and it's a really easy easy in the sense of like so easy to recall because like I have such a vivid picture of her and she is such a cool character on tv that I can know what that means yeah and it's so funny because once you have a picture to name to it and then you have two different personas um, the great thing is you can step back because we always say we are not our thoughts because sometimes when you're in stress you think you are your thoughts and you think you are the danger and you're, you're all at one with it. But when you have different personas, you know, you have, you can step back. And I think, um, uh, uh, Joe Dispenza, he always talks about becoming a quantum observer because if you can step back from your life and observe yourself, uh, it does give you the ability to have more power over that so that you don't feel like you're a victim of the energy going on. And so it's kind of cool. Cause if you have those two pictures, you can say, okay, what, what do I choose? Cause now you're the thinker of your thoughts and you can choose to think, the thoughts that you want um, when you're so if you're so used to being just in your thoughts you just think you're a victim of your thoughts so I think that was uh, yeah. that was pretty cool was there any other insights from the uh, mastermind that you've that you that you that you, um, you had a breakthrough with that you've kind of used since then I think the the other thing that I just do more often is like spending more quiet time so whether it be um, lying in bed listening to a podcast by myself or um, going for a walk with the dogs in the forest or just, you know, sitting and just chilling, I've tried to implement that a lot more. Um, I've also been on a much more significant like supplement nutrition um, plan to try to help calm the adrenal systems and the um, sleep and all that type of thing. So I had seen a naturopath and actually have been following through with uh, the supplements to really help my body be stronger. Those are another kind of big, big takeaways from me and realizing that, you know, I had those supplements and had the recommendations for probably a four to six weeks before I went to the mastermind. Um, but I guess I just kind of at the mastermind went like, no, this is actually going to work. Versus like thinking, oh, it's just another thing I have to do. Like <laughs> yeah. I actually had belief that this was going to work. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then it's you just that. And again, when you decide to do it, you, it's your all in. You don't have to motivate, motivate yourself to do it. You just kind yeah. of, you just decide to do it. Yeah. So I always like to ask my, uh, my, um, my guests the Terminator question. So 
you know, you've been through lots since you've graduated school and through all the years that you've been in practice. And then we always say, if you could kind of zip back in time and, and talk to your younger self, like maybe when you're a teenager or when you're just in chiropractic school and you had the ability to give yourself, your younger self, some advice one-to-one, um, what kind of advice would you give your younger self? I would very strongly encourage her to not worry so much that it's going to be okay, that you don't have to do all of your goals in a year. There is lots of time. There's lots of life and just um, be kinder to yourself and give yourself more grace when you make mistakes or you do something um, that didn't give you the exact result that you want. Uh, Because some of the biggest gifts I've gotten from my mentors as I've gone through is the ability to know that you don't have to be perfect and do everything um, exactly 100% correctly or um, be the most successful to still be making a huge impact and to be happy. And Mm -hmm. just to realize again, like you're, you're on a good path. Just enjoy it. We don't have to rush it. We don't have to rush it. Right. And if you have babies, you can take more than two weeks off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That would be the other one, right? Hey, well, later on when you have babies, take more than two weeks off. (laughs) So, um, so in closing, we have chiropractors all over the world listening to this podcast. And, uh, and what, what kind of words of wisdom or inspiration would you like to kind of leave, leave everybody with for, to close off? I guess the, the biggest areas of success that I've seen in myself and in others is when your heart is full of love. So just do whatever you can to open your heart up and fill it up with more love, whether that's with friendships, your partner, your children, um, whoever it is, your, your colleagues, like that, that's when I've had the biggest practice growth is when I love others and myself more. Mm, That's great. Yeah. And I think that's hard for some people to do, right? You can't love others or, or, or do put lots into other stuff until you put stuff into yourself. Right. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And, and I really appreciate you opening up to some of the, the, uh, the more vulnerable side of you. Um, I think it's really valuable because lots of other people will be dealing with grief or, 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 um, or, or even like catastrophes or something else in their life. And it's just nice to hear how other people can kind of transition it um, and then take something positive out of it. So I really appreciate you sharing that story with us. Thanks. So everybody, um, I hope you got lots from this podcast. And uh, until next time, make sure you join us back on the Vitality Shift podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.